Well, do we have a tasty treat for you guys. Um, we have been going over some promises um, with a series entitled, uh, This is What We Do. And at Genesis Metro, you've already experienced it. We love people. Uh, when you walk through the doors, you are greeted with a smile. And uh, we try our best to even remember your name on the second time that you walk through the doors. And uh, we just want you to know that God sees you, that we see you and that we're trying to create a church family that is based upon uh, God's Word. And so every week, we're um, unwrapping one of our organizational values. And today uh, is going to be one of the fun ones, because uh, we're going to be talking about uh, we promise to do anything, right? To anything to save as many souls as is possible. And underneath that banner um, is a lot of license for creativity and for cultural relevance, and we're going to be getting into that in just a moment. When we planted Genesis Metro, uh, we really wanted to create a church that anyone could walk in from any phase of life. So someone that has been in church all their lives, they can walk in here, get something out of it, um, worship that is dynamic. But we also wanted it to have that vibe where if I have never gone to church a day in my life and I walk in here and I hear this message, is it transformative? You know, is there, is there something that will connect this message to my life so that I can understand it, interpret it? Why is the gospel then necessary? And so today as we kind of mull through this message, I want you to know that um, God and His Word, that our first promise, we promise to preach the truth, um, that's where the power is. So God is in charge of the power, but I am in charge of the presentation. And so the presentation of the Word is everything, right? And so God is going to do the saving, but it's my job to do as the best job that I can possibly do in presenting. And so in your life, you're in charge of the presentation. God will always be in charge of the power and how we live and how we prioritize and how we submit ourselves to God's Word is going to determine how well we present that light, that truth to a lost and dying world. And so I hope today that we can jump into this promise and you're going to see some, some history of Genesis Metro, some, some grainy footage, if you will, that kind of tells you how we feel about creativity. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the greatest Christian to ever live, the Apostle Paul writes this to a church um, that was largely um, uh, uh, kind of a, it made it, as a matter of fact, if there's a city that's as close to Frisco in the Bible, um, then the, the, the Corinthian city um, and their culture was very much like Frisco is. And so um, he's talking to a group of people and he's, the Apostle Paul was trying to reach outside of the walls of the Jewish culture. And so, as he's writing this, I want you to just begin thinking, uh, you can translate the principle as to what is it that you're comfortable with, and what is it that you prefer, and then how comfortable are you reaching outside of that comfort zone for the gospel of Christ. And so, that will be your, your touch point for today. And then I hope you'll see how our church embraces this truth. Um, it says, um, the Apostle Paul wrote, though I am free and belong to no one, um, he says, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Now, right out of the gate, though I am free, um, 
I, and I, I don't have time to do this text justice because I'm going on a macro view uh, today, but uh, the Jewish state was under Roman occupation at the time, but Paul was a Roman citizen, and so he wasn't like a typical Jewish person. He was actually a free citizen in Rome. And so he's saying, I am free. I'm, no, I'm not under the Roman occupation. Um, and in today's culture, I would, I would assess this statement and I would say that if you have any uh, libertarian type of uh, vibe, any, any, any libertarians kind of like in here? Anybody want to read? Yeah. You're like, don't tell me what to do. Does anybody have that like vibe? Like, I don't care what you do. You just don't tell me what to do. Like, get the government out of my life. Does anybody else have this sentiment? I kind of I bend towards the libertarian side. I think less government is better. Anyway, um, that's a quick civics lesson. And so, whenever you're thinking about, I am free and I belong to no one, I think everybody in here loves a freedom statement, right? I mean, no one in here, like, doesn't want to be free. And so, you don't want someone to curtail your freedoms. Um, and so, everybody would, like, say the amen, you know, on the freedom. But then he says, but I have made myself a slave to everyone. And now that's where I think, oh, you know, I don't think that servitude or submission is popular in today's culture. As a matter of fact, if I were to preach a, a marriage series, which I will do one day again sometime, um, but if I was to teach that wives, you are to be in submission to your husband. In today's culture, does anybody think that that might ruffle some feathers? Anybody think that? Now, is there another picture? Like, is that, is that a complete picture? Wives be in submission to your husbands? It says that husbands are to be in submission to the Lord. And then when they're in submission to the Lord, they serve and are self-sacrificing for the bride that's in submission to them. So the complete and total picture is that both are under submission to God, and then there's a love relationship that is built upon lifting the other person up ahead of your own needs. And so, see, it feels like when you say submission, you're saying that you, you are somehow not the, the, in the first place. And that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's, in fact, what God is trying to say. Like, you, you are not um, in first place. That if you want to propagate the gospel, that you have to come in second place. And the Apostle Paul said, though I'm free, okay, no one owns me, no one can make me, no one can tell me. He said, I willingly become a slave to everyone. So everyone was more important. Their freedom was more important. Their, their soul was more important to Paul than his own freedom. And so I want you to begin thinking about that, like in your Christianity, where does that lie? And then I want you to look as we read through these verses, how many times he uses the word when, right? And you're going to get that, that vibe. Does anybody else have like a, like, it's all about the win. Does anybody else have that? Like, I, like you want to win no matter, like, I want to win. Does anybody else have that? Like, I, I am, like, I, I'm matured a little bit, and I'm saying like maybe 3%, but, but I used to have like a win at all costs, and now I'm like, you know, win at most costs, but like, you know, I don't want to hurt myself anymore, you know. I don't know. Anyway, so 
So you've got to be careful, like, what you want. What is the win, you know? At Genesis Metro, we say that we measure a win by life change in response to God's Word. It's just that simple. Really simple to steal it down. That every time we get a win on our scoreboard, that's how we're counting, is that someone's life changed as a result of them responding to God's Word. Now, the biggest win is the soul that is saved, but that's just a starting point. It takes a lot of effort to keep winning and becoming a follower of Christ and submission to His Word. And so he says that I made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So the goal is to win. Win people. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those that are under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those who, um, <clears throat> to not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Now, I know that this sounds like legal jargon to some of you, and you're already like, Tim, I'm asleep. Okay, listen, it's important. There's two, two different people here. There's the Jewish people, and there's the Gentile people. And he's saying that his cultural context, he was willing to shift it in order to win those that were outside the law or the Gentiles. And so, verse 22, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save or win some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Like, all of the people that have been saved in here, all the lives that have been changed in here, that's what I get to share in as the pastor of Genesis. I get to share in the blessings of seeing your life change. He says, verse 24, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? And he goes, and even that prize, he says that you're to run in such a way to win it, but that everyone that competes in those games, they go into strict training, but they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that lasts, say it together, forever, forever. So I would just ask you, what crown are you competing for this morning? Are you trying your best? Are you killing yourself to get a crown that is going to pass away, that is temporary? Or are you leveraging where God has positioned you, where God has lifted you to with your influence, power, and resources? Are you leveraging that for the light? Are you saying that... Uh, the goal is to get more or is the goal to win more souls? You know, so as you begin to distill his word into your life, you have to start asking yourself, what are the things that I have to let go of in order to win more souls? Paul references the word win five times, and then he alludes to winning two more times. And so seven times in six verses, Paul seems to be saying, whatever it takes to win, whatever it takes to win another soul. And so I want you to begin thinking with me, what is it and how does this apply in your life? Do you look at your life and mirror it to God's Word and say, yes, I am willing to do whatever it takes to win another soul? Because quite frankly, there's a lot of things in our personalities that we are unwilling to do. For instance, um, every person, there's, there's two types of people, okay? There's, there's the people that are in here that being in this crowd is something that you look forward to, that you draw energy from. It's like, 
My wife has a superpower that she draws energy from crowds. Like she could be at a mall and it's like she just grows in stature, you know, like <laughs> She-Ra, right? Um, Gen X reference. Anyway, and then there are, and would you say that you are that person by show of hands? Like, are you a, a crowd person, like, like the energy? Okay. And then there's other group of people in here that they, they don't like even someone on their row. They prefer to have their, their own seat in the parking lot, and they don't want anyone to talk to them, even though they went to church. And so, would you raise your hand if you're like a little bit more antisocial? Okay. Yes. All right. So, usually you're you're married to someone who is not you. Um, otherwise, you're either reclusive or you are not good with your money. Um, and so, <laughs> if both people like to have fun, <laughs> there is not enough budget. Anyway, so think about that for a moment. If you're going to win people and yet your personality says, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to connect with anyone. I don't need anyone else in my life. I already have my three friends, and that's all I need. Like, and then, like, if you're the other side of the, the, the pond there, and you're like, I am going to just go nuts, and I'm going to have fun, and I'm going to talk at a volume that is super high, and talk about how amazing it was. Like, if you're trying to reach my personality, which is kind of, even though I have this persona of an extrovert, I am very, I'm an introvert. And so, like, like when I hear somebody loud talking, you'll see, like, I literally start moving back. Does anybody else do this? It's like, it's like I'm afraid of the volume that this person is producing, you know? And, um, and so, so it's self-awareness, and not even self-awareness, but spiritual awareness, right? Paul said, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win the next soul. And so, so many times we ourselves, we say, no, we, we're wrapped in our identity, right? And we say, this is who I am. This is what I am. And my goodness, I think, what if God treated us the way that we treat God? Because you like have your list of demands. Um, you're, you're, you're saying what you will and won't do right out of the gate. I will not talk to someone. I will not hold the door and smile at someone. I will not go to someone's house. I will not open my house. Like, you, like it's, it's all like mine, mine, mine. These are my things, you know? And I just wonder, what if God did that to you? Like, what if He was like, this is my son? Like, you know, I won't share him, you know? And so God had this open hand, right? And He didn't give you just a little bit. He gave you His best. And so if He gave you His best, He's demonstrating to you that the value of your soul was worth it. And if the value of your soul was worth it for God to give His very best, then aren't we then required to start calibrating and asking ourselves, what is it that I need to do in order to win the next soul? And so it'll, it'll cause us to flex, right? We're able to flex our personality so that someone else can experience faith. We're able to think about, is there some things I need to stop doing so that someone else gets a shot at starting? Because if you keep living like the world, even though you say you love God, 
then your light is diminished by the darkness that you're allowing in, then how can you be a conduit and a reflection of Christ to a lost and dying world if you're completely wrapped in the darkness that you're saying that they don't need to be in? And so that's where it smells like hypocrisy, and that's a light that they, they will reject. And so we have to create a culture that connects with them, and, and that's how we win the next soul. And so this kind of leads into, loosely, um, um, a little bit of our culture. And so as we're getting to know one another and we have so many people coming in, um, I just want you to know that we've created a unique culture that takes the licensing of Paul and Jesus and tries to connect culture to the gospel. And then you say to yourself, like, okay, what does that mean? We do these things called sermon shoots. And sermon shoots are when we go out and we film something almost like a documentary and then we bring it to life in an application. And so that takes the truth, okay, and it drives it home so that it makes it memorable. And so it's like a teacher. You're teaching math, but people don't enjoy learning math unless you're a weirdo like me, okay? But, but in order to make math interesting, you know, you have to bring illustrations and concepts and fun into the learning process. And so at Genesis Metro, we believe creating that uh, culture of creativity, that's what allows us to, to stand out and to uh, connect with people that maybe uh, did not grow up in a church home. And so um, you would ask yourself things like, well, so what would you be willing to do? Uh, would you be willing to uh, jump out of an airplane? Hey, that's fine. <laughs> well, the wind's got us here a little bit. That's fine. <laughs> How was that, dude? That was oh, good, dude. Go. That was Woo. good. <laughs> good. Uh. That was good camping oh, flight, man, too. That was awesome, dude. That was good. He let me fly the chute for just a little bit. Nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was 2010, Tim. Uh, so you say, what, what is going on there? Uh, well, so we wanted to do a series where we were asking people, we were actually launching um, at the time a different series and a growth campaign, and, and we were asking everybody to take a, a step and you know, a leap of faith, if you will, a jump. And so we thought, how better to illustrate this than to uh, jump out of an airplane? Now, um, you might notice there that it looks like if you've ever seen people jump, like they usually have like a suit on and stuff like that. So we were, we were going to go to Skydive Dallas, and it turns out that if the wind is blowing over 20 miles per hour, they won't let you do a jump, a tandem jump, because it's uh, dangerous. And so we were really bummed because we had told the congregation next week we're going to have this footage. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be fun. And so we went home, and we were sitting in my house, and it was like, well, what do we do now? Well, we had this idea, we'll call around all the different skydive places in Texas, and this guy answered, and he was down outside of Austin. And, um, you know, Skydive Dallas, we did this training, they laid on this table, and they gave us this suit, and they gave us a helmet and these goggles, and um, I called this guy, and he's like, if you get here by dusk, I'll take you up. Little did I know, this is um, a petting zoo farm, like llamas, turkeys, dirt, there's not a runway. 
I signed a piece of paper. Did you notice? I just jeans and do y'all remember that affliction type of shirt that was cool for a little while? I had the shirt. I just didn't have the body that went with it. Um, so I feel like you have to be almost like an MMA guy to look right in an affliction shirt. Anyway, and so, so we got there and, and I literally signed a piece of paper and he gave me these like plastic goggle things and we went up. We went up in the plane, bro. And he like started patting the pilot on the side. He goes, you missed it. And it turned out that was the pilot's first week to work here. We missed the drop zone. We had to circle. There's no chairs in this plane. I am sitting on the floor of the plane. And he had me put a seatbelt over my thigh as I was sitting. And I was like, you think this is going to make the difference? And so anyway, it was time to jump. And so we opened the door and we jumped. And then he let me fly the parachute. And I thought I shouldn't be doing this. So anyway... A great experience, but we were trying to get our people to understand that there's going to be coming a season that in order to reach people, we have to be willing to jump and get into uncomfortable situations. Speaking of uncomfortable, would you be willing to go to a hog farm um, in order to endure the smell, to ride a hog, and to demonstrate that you're willing to connect with people even when it's outside of your comfort zone? <laughs> we are on a farm. Ain't no doubt about that smell. And all I can say is, America. I mean, that's what it's all about. I didn't see this uh, being on this trip when we left Saturday, but I mean, miracles do happen. <sighs> Met my match. <laughs> Met my match. This, uh, Sweet Jesus. Do it. Screw it. Get in there. Man up. Get yourself on a hog. And do it. Throw the hog. Yeah! The smell got me big time. And now we're going to uh, head to the preg check. Life on the farm. Uh, if we're going to come up here and experience the way other people do life, you got to jump in there. I'm extremely sensitive to smell. I don't know why I have this problem, um, but nothing ever comes out, so don't, don't fear if you're like, oh, he's going to throw up. No, he's not. He's not going to throw up. He's just going to make this noise over and over again. Um, and so uh, we filmed a social experiment in which we actually went out and uh, we left not having a place to stay and we were going to have to call churches and various people that were strangers and see if we could get them to let us stay with them, right? Very uncomfortable, by the way. If you've ever asked someone to stay at their house and you don't know them, it is awkward. And so um, we thought we would, we would bring that. Um, and, you know, you say, well, Tim, that sounds very silly. Right. Um, but yet, I think that when it comes to, like, Jesus... And what he's asking you to give, like, would you be willing to give your house up um, in order for someone to have a place to stay? Because I found that in our Christianity, a lot of times, 
if we dwell into the my category that we talked about a moment ago, then we, we tend to be very stingy with what God has blessed us with. And what we actually found was there were some incredible people that let us stay with them, and it made some great stories, some, some God stories that still exist today. As a matter of fact, uh, some of those people watch online every week. They're, they're watching right now um, in Iowa. That's where we were. We were on a farm in Iowa. And so, uh, we're willing to go through those things because it's fun. Now, do I enjoy showing that to you? No, it's embarrassing. I don't want to show that. But will you remember it? Yes, you will. And I hope that you'll understand, tie the worlds together, that it may not be the way that I would do life because if I had to go out on a hog farm every day, I, don't know, I honestly don't know what I would do. It'd be terrible. Um, but if I'm going to go up there and if I'm going to embrace other people as they walk in, because I can tell you as a pastor, I can completely relate to that. I walk into situations that don't smell good all the time when I'm counseling people. And what if I just did what was easy for me? What if I just hid behind the desk and I never interacted? I never dove in there. What if when they called, I just always referred it to someone else? No, I want to be the pastor that shows up when the house is on fire. I want to be the fireman that runs into the danger. And even though it doesn't smell good, even though it isn't great, you're willing to do it because that's what it takes to win the next soul. Yeah, so would you be willing to do that? Sure. Would you be willing to drop your, your good friend off a 400-foot cliff even though he's having a panic attack? Yes. Oh, oh please, let's reconsider this. Oh, 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 oh. If you're new, we're just trying to give you some flavor, right? <laughs> like, okay, you're going to say these people are a little crazy, but just bear with me. There's some method to the madness. Um, point number two, our passion to connect with sinners, uh, connect sinners to a Savior must be greater than our desire for comfort, okay? Ben did not want to do this. Could you tell? He was literally begging the guy not to release the thing. And this, this guy had a maniacal sense about him, right? He could just hear it in his voice. I was like, does anybody ever get sick on this thing? He goes, all the time, you know? <laughs> he literally had a stat. He's like, I've had seven throw-ups this month, you know? It's like he just joy in his soul um, for, for doing this. And so anyway, uh, ben was clearly uncomfortable. He didn't want to do it, and then he passed out. And then I was a little concerned, uh, but I think you could see that there was joy in my face. And so, you know, why would you be willing to do that? Well, I think that it illustrates the point. I don't think it was comfortable for the Apostle Paul to project outside of his culture, just like you have a way that you were raised, and you are very comfortable in that culture. But when I put you around other people that do things differently, you become uncomfortable really quick. And you might even say you want to escape and you want to make sure that you're never in that situation again. But I want to say for the sake of the gospel, shouldn't we, shouldn't be, shouldn't we be willing to project outside and do things that are a little bit different? As many of you know, uh, Carrie and I came from a really rigid Baptist background, okay? And so, I'm still what I call a recovering Baptist. That means that if you come over to the house, you feel like you need to hide the alcohol. That's what a recovering Baptist is, okay? And so, um, y'all don't, don't know this? 
Oh, there's so many jokes. What's the difference between a Baptist and a Methodist? A Methodist will say hi to you in the liquor store. <laughs> Why do you take two deacons when you go fishing? Because if you just take one, they'll drink all your beer. <laughs> oh, come on. Okay, well, I, 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 don't know. I don't know who this audience is. But anyway, I'm just saying that, that whenever you are staying within your own tribe and you're not willing to try anything else, it'd be like if you just liked burgers, but you would never try Italian, or you'd never try seafood, or you never try, like, you're only going to try this one thing. And I think there's so many different people that need to find Christ, and if I'm closed off to any other cultural things, then am I short-circuiting my ability to win the next soul? Or am I saying I'm willing to embrace being uncomfortable and putting myself in uncomfortable situations so that I can build bridges so that people could come to know Christ? And that means that in my personality, even though I might be introverted, I might have to stretch in my extrovertedness. I might be naturally stingy, which I am, so I might have to learn to become generous. I might be naturally impatient, which I am, so I might have to learn to become patient with people. I might be naturally really judgmental and harsh when someone makes a mistake, so I might have to learn to be uncomfortably merciful because God was merciful to me. You see, over time, the Apostle Paul was saying, whatever I need to do to change me, not change the truth, understand this, that we're not, the next point is that we must have pliability in order to have viability. That means that, that, that our flexibility as a church culture has to be willing to change to whatever it takes to save as many souls as possible. But I want you to understand that adaptation does not equal alteration. That just because we're adapting our, our, the way that we're, we're presenting does not mean that we're altering the God's truth. God's truth is the same, right? God's truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is never going to let you mess with the message. I'm not allowed to do that. As the preacher, I can't just change the message to be something that you like. I have to preach the message as it is. So God is not trying to work on the, the message. Really, it's about molding the messenger and the methodology. That's what God is trying to work on. He's trying to say, I'm trying to work on you. You're my delivery mechanism, and we need to get you right so that you can reflect me to a lost and dying world. And so I want you to begin thinking about that, that, that if we weren't pliable, that if we weren't flexible, if Paul wasn't pliable, if he wasn't flexible, then all the Gentiles would not have been reached. And most of you in here, probably 99% of you are Gentiles. Ergo, you wouldn't be sitting in here today unless someone said that your soul was worth it. And then the next generation said that soul was worth it. And then the next generation said that soul was worth it. And at some point, someone said your particular soul was worth costing me my comfort. I'm willing to be flexible. I'm willing to do things that I don't have time to do, spend money that I don't have to spend so that someone's soul could be eternally saved. I'm not trying to run to win a crown that's going to pass away. I'm trying to win a soul that's going to last forever. And the church said, amen, give him praise in his house. Yes. So start thinking about that. Like, are you pliable? Like, how pliable are you? Now, I am, as a human in my physical body, not flexible at all. Does anybody else, like, have a problem? Like, God did not make me flexible. He made me rigid, right? And I just wonder, in your spiritual life, are you like me in my physical life? Are you super rigid? Think about that. 
How many churches do you think are within 10 miles of here? And do you think they're all winning? Do you think they're all growing? Do you think that life change is happening in those churches, all of them? What if I told you that 90% of churches in America are in plateau or decline? 90%. That COVID killed more churches in the last four years than had been killed in the last 50 years? Do you think it's possible that in those churches at some point, tradition and the way they did church was more important to them than winning the next soul? Again, the message does not change. The same message that saves in that church is the same message that saves in this church, the same message that saves in any church. It's either Jesus or it's not. Either saves or it doesn't. So it is not the message that is in question. It is the methodology. Are they presenting truth in a method that works in today's culture? Are they culturally relevant? Not message compromised, but culturally relevant. And at some point when we say tradition is more important than the next soul, that the way that I like it is more important than the next soul, that I hold something so dearly that I would say it's worth more than the next soul that could be saved? No, no. I think that as the church, Paul was saying, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win a soul, to win at any cost. And at Genesis Metro, that's what we do. If you look at how we do it, we distilled it down and we made it easy. We allowed the focus to become the filter to which we do church. And that focus is to win souls. And so whenever we see that focus play out, it filters out a bunch of other things. Our church used to be uh, like 10 years ago, we used to be a mile wide and six inches deep. We used to have all these things, all these different ministries. But we had to start measuring and start saying, how much life change is it producing? And so we distilled it down and we do uh, connection through small groups that meet in people's houses. We call them life groups. And then we do it through serving teams here at the church. Those things produced more life change than everything else. And then the second one, which is really first when it comes to the budget, is we invest in the next generation. We believe that the young adults and the children, the student ministries, Fuse and GM Kids, we believe that those areas produce the most life change. Therefore, we're going to invest the most of our budget into that next generation so that when we look at it systemically, if we can produce families like mine, my family, I wasn't raised in church. Carrie was, but I wasn't. So I have a generation of children that will only know God. And so if we can do that over time, that's exponential change, that they have a foundation that I didn't have. Therefore, they'll be able to build higher than I was able to build because they started at a different place and they didn't have to overcome some of the things that I had to overcome. Wouldn't it be great if we had a whole generation in here that changed the trajectory of how you were raised through the way that we raised the children of Genesis Metro Church? I think that would be the most important thing to invest in. So sacred cows must be slaughtered, and therefore, that's how we produce life change. Um, Jesus illustrated this in Luke chapter 5, and this will be my wrapping point. Pliability equals viability. And if you don't use the word viability a lot, it just means that it's able to produce. It's able to produce life. It's able to reproduce life. It's viable. It's a viable plan, okay? 
Uh, jumping out of that airplane, ooh, did not feel super viable. And I'll get into that in just a moment. But Jesus walks up, and uh, the apostles, this is, this is where they were called to be fishers of men. You'll remember that. Um, and he, he said that they were, the Bible says they were cleaning their nets, and that they had fished all night, and they had not caught anything. Now, as a fisherman, I could tell you, I can relate to this sentiment. Like, some days you go out there and you just cast, 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 and man, you got nothing. And it is, it is, it's so frustrating. And I don't know why I love it, because it is a sport that is based upon failure at like a 99% rate. And yet, oh, when you finally do catch that one, right? It's like, woo, super exciting. Um, and so the apostle I'm sorry, Jesus walks up to the disciples while they were still fishermen, and he says, can I borrow your boat? Again, remember that thing of mine versus yours, mine versus yours? Is it your car, or is it God's car? Like, if I had to borrow your car today for the Lord, (laughs) is it your house, or is it God's house? So I'm just saying, if I had to borrow your house for a small group, would you... No, you know. Can you imagine this dude walking up with this big crowd of people? He's like, can I, can I have your boat? I'm going to tell you right now, if you ask me to borrow my boat, I'm not Jesus, okay? So, or you're not Jesus. Someone's not Jesus. So, like, no, I'm not going to let you borrow my boat. You crazy? He says, Peter, can I borrow your boat? And he's like, yeah. So they put off on the shore a little bit. Jesus preached the sermon. And then he says, let's head out to the deep water. Let's launch out into the deep water. Man, everything gets crazy out there in the deep water. And I think so many people walk into church, and sometimes they live a lifetime of church. And you ever seen someone try to get into water that's cold? Has anyone ever seen this? What do you do? Oh, this is very dangerous at my age, by the way. I have some elders saying, don't do it, Tim. But you just dip your toe, and then as soon as it touches, what are you like, whoa. And then, like, you're trying to psych yourself up. Does anybody remember when you were a kid, you, like, had to psych yourself up to get in the water? I know all these Frisco people are like, our pool's heated. <laughs> we don't have that problem, Tim. Sometimes that water was so cold that when your little toes touched it, you're like, no, I'm not getting in that water. I think that when Jesus asks us to launch out in the deep, man, that's the way we are. We're, we're tepid. We're timid. So I just want to encourage you, the Apostle Peter, he was the captain. And Jesus asked the captain to launch. But when we read this verse right here, just to go Bible nerd for just a second, the launch command is in the singular, whereas the let down your nets is in the plural. So he's asking the captain to launch, but he's asking the community, we could even say the congregation, to cast, okay? As the pastor, my job is to launch us, right? And now we're here at 3330. We have launched, right? And I want you to know that there are more unknowns than there are knowns because, like, you know, we have to pay for this and we don't have enough money. Does everybody understand that? Does everybody say... Everybody say amen if you understand what I'm saying, right? Okay. We're going to share more about that in a couple of weeks. But anyway, so we've launched into the unknown, and now we're going to let down our nets. 
Now, there's a discussion that begins to, to brew between Peter and Jesus. He said, we fished all night and we've caught nothing, but nevertheless, at your word, I will. So, this is very unnatural, right, is what Peter is saying. This is very unnatural because I, as a fisherman, know what I'm doing, and you are not a fisherman. It's unnatural. It's unnatural to believe that you just went out there and fished all night, that if you go back out and you do the same thing, it's unnatural. It would be almost insane to believe you're going to get a different result And so it's an unnatural um, delivery person. Like Jesus is a carpenter. He's not a fisherman. So Peter's looking at him like with that, you know, that crooked eye. And it's like, you know, you don't know what I know. And it's unnatural because to some degree, Peter's saying, Lord, we've already done all that we can do. And yet you're asking me to do more, and I'm going to get a different result. And I'm going to tell you, it was unnatural when the plane door opened, and all of a sudden the air was coming into the plane. I'm going to tell you, if you've never been in a plane where the door is open, it is not natural. As a matter of fact, some people told me before I jumped that it would be like, a, like you're um, floating. It's the sensation of floating. It is not the sensation of floating at all. It is the sensation of falling at a very rapid pace towards the earth, okay? There was nothing natural at all about that experience. There was nothing pleasurable. It wasn't like, oh, this is so good. No, it was not. It was not until you were on the earth again, and I wanted to kiss the ground. I was so happy to be on the earth. Would I do it again? No, I would not do it again. But Peter says, even though it's unnatural, at your word, I will. And if I could give you a mantra from today's message that ties this promise together, just because it doesn't naturally come to you to want to do these things, it doesn't naturally occur to you to be generous, to be um, open with your material possessions, with your house, with your time, with your energy, You say to yourself, I don't have enough time for me. How am I going to have time for someone else? And all I can tell you is there's never been a time in the history of following God in the Old Testament or the New Testament where it was convenient or when it was comfortable to follow after Jesus. But I will tell you that the results are worth it. That when we win one more soul, it's worth it. I'll share one last clip, and then we'll wrap it up. Thing about it is, is that, you know, with experience, you know what those fish are looking for. And so we caught probably five or six fish, and I was like, okay, now I got it dialed in. I want Ben to have a win put a lure on for him. The first one wasn't working because he he didn't know exactly how to work that one. So I was like, okay, adjustment, audible, something similar, but different and put a whopper plopper on. He started pulling it back, boom. And I can't even tell you, when you get to help somebody get a win and see the joy, man, that's what it's all about.
when we get to hold up the lives that are changed, that's the trophy. Your life, your soul, your family, having God, knowing what God's will is, doing God's will, having it to rest on when you experience loss. When struggles come, you have a community that will help you, will pray for you. As a pastor, as a Christian, that's my trophy. That's my incorruptible crown. That's what lasts forever, the blessings of the gospel. I would encourage you to think about how many are you winning? Because if you'll let God get in your boat, and if you'll look at your job as not a job, but it's a conduit, you look at your house as not a house, but it's an opportunity. The skills that you've been given are not just yours to create more for you to consume, but there's a kingdom opportunity. When you look at it through that lens, then all of a sudden you can say, through the power of God, my presentation can produce eternal life change. And if you had to change something in your life to make that more possible, I think the next soul would compel you that if someone thought it was worth it for you, then surely we must conclude that it's worth it for someone else. Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, God, that we might go fishing today, that maybe we would catch another soul. Maybe we would catch another prodigal that needs to come home. Maybe we would catch another Christian that has grown complacent in convenience. God, that they might realize and that they might reconcile today that there's a passion that they must pursue you with that is almost reckless. Whether it's jumping, Lord, whether it's putting us in uncomfortable situations, whether it's allowing ourselves to be dropped even when it's uncomfortable, God, that we're willing to do all of these things so that we can hold up the trophy of another soul. And God, you say that's worth it, and I say today that your family, your family to us, to me, you're worth it. I pray, God, today that you would reignite the fires that are in our lives, that we would want to win another soul, whatever it costs. Lord, we ask these things in your name. And the church said, amen. Would you worship with us today?